Hello everyone, and thanks for tuning in to the latest episode of English with Tim, the podcast where you can learn English in depth and detail. I'm Tim, native speaker English teacher from the U.S., world traveler, polyglot, and author of several dictionaries for learning English. In this week's episode, I'm going to talk about loan words. Loan words are words that originate in another language but have become part of English vocabulary. More specifically, I'm going to talk about loan words in English that originally were German words. Some of these German loan words are used frequently enough that they feel almost like they are completely English now, but others still feel exotic, especially when they express an idea that we don't have a great word for in English or when they are connected with a very specific time and place. Also, when we learn several of these German loan words, we can start to see what the points of contact are between the two languages and, by extension, what English native speakers think of Germans and Germany. Now, of course, let's not be too reductive. Let's not think that a handful of loan words will tell us the whole story of what English speakers think of German speakers, but let's just take these words as an interesting and partial um, indication of the relationship. So, the first word is German word uh, doppelgänger, and in English, the pronunciation is doppelganger. Now, like a lot of German words, um, this one consists of two separate words that have been kind of glued or smashed together. Um, and let's look at each of those parts. So doppel um, means double, and ganger means a person who is walking someplace. So a what, what does that mean when you put them together? Um, a doppelganger is a person who looks exactly like another person, but is not related to them. So, for example, your twin brother or sister, or just a family member who looks exactly like you, is not your doppelganger. Only an unrelated person can be a doppelganger. So, um, two times in my life, I have encountered a friend or acquaintance's doppelganger, both times with really uncomfortable results. In 2015, for example, I went to Tbilisi, and while I was in the airport, I met a doppelganger of my friend Martin from Berlin. This second Martin, who's from Georgia, even had the same hairstyle and type of hat. It honestly was really unsettling and uncomfortable. Even though I was pretty nervous, I approached Martin's doppelganger, explained the situation to him in Russian, and asked if I could take his picture. Um, with some hesitation, he actually allowed me to do that. He felt kind of weirded out by the situation, but he loosened up a little bit and said, okay, you can do it. Now, another time that I met the doppelganger uh, of a friend was um, in 2019. I was in Belgrade, and I met the doppelganger of a guy named Trey, who was from the U.S. and worked at a youth hostel in Tallinn. I ran into Trey's doppelganger in Belgrade and knew immediately that it wasn't Trey, however, because Trey does not speak Serbian. I gave the second Trey an extremely surprised and slightly concerned look, and when I did that, our eyes met, and he got really displeased that I was looking at him that way. We had been walking towards each other, and just past each other, and so we walked off in opposite directions. I looked back over my shoulder to look at him again, and he again was looking at me, this time with some pretty obvious anger. Now, the original Trey, and also his doppelganger, they're both pretty big guys, so I just kept walking and decided to leave things where they lay. Um, now, about the word doppelganger, um, the natural feelings of mystery and fear that accompany doppelgangers have, like many things, lessened because of the internet. 
You might remember that a few years ago, the Russian website and app FindFace allowed you to upload a photo and then find everyone on the Russian social network VK who looked like that person. I admit I tried it out and found that a lot of the people that I knew had not one or two, but even more doppelgangers. Um, Another um, German um, origin word in English which talks about something from the supernatural or something that's very strange is poltergeist. So polter means something like torture or bother, and geist is um, a uh, ghost or spirit. You can hear geist, ghost, pretty similar to each other. So a poltergeist is a ghost that really specifically bothers you and screams and wakes you up and causes problems for you. Honestly, it's not that different from the typical English-speaking conception of just a ghost. Most ghosts are actually, I would say, poltergeists. Um, This word became really popular in the 1980s because Steven Spielberg decided to name um, his series of horror movies that he made, I believe there are four of them, Um, he decided to name the series of movies Poltergeist. There's Poltergeist 1, Poltergeist 2, Poltergeist 3, and Poltergeist, I believe, 4. And those movies haven't aged very well. They're not nearly as scary as they seemed back in 1983 or whatever. And so, yeah, the word poltergeist is not as commonly used anymore. But you can occasionally hear it or read it. Um, The next word is not connected with the supernatural. It is from a completely different part of life. Um, This word is panzer. The German word, uh, German pronunciation, sorry, is panza. And so... In English, we just, as I said, we say panzer, and in German, panza refers to the tank of any country from any time when tanks uh, were invented uh, during the First World War up until the present. Now, in English, on the other hand, the English pronunciation panzer refers specifically to German tanks from the Second World War. Now, maybe you could use Panzer to talk about German tanks from the First World War, but I've never heard that done. I'm also not the kind of person who plays World of Tanks on his computer, and I'm not generally deeply interested in tanks, so maybe I'm not the best person to ask whether using Panzer in that way is possible. So I suggest you play it safe and use Panzer to talk only about German tanks from World War II, if, of course, it ever becomes necessary to do so. Another word um, from this part of life, um, namely war, is uh, zeppelin. So a zeppelin was a large balloon that uh, Germany used during the First World War to bomb London. This was not just any balloon, though, because the balloons up until that point, most of them... Um, you could not control which direction they went into. And so the Zeppelin was one of the first, um, you know, really practical, large balloons that had a, you know, not just completely round shape, but it was more cylindrically shaped um, and had a propeller on it to control the direction and, yeah, was used for military purposes. So that, um, again, refers to a very specific time and place. Um, Another German word with a similar story to Panzer and to Zeppelin is Uh, U-boat. So a U-boat is a submarine, but again, not just any submarine. It has to be a German submarine from either of the world wars. The original German word was Unterseeboot, which is in English undersea boat. You can really hear the resemblance between the two pretty easily, I think. Unterseeboot and undersea boat. So um, in German, Unterseeboot got shortened to U-boot, and in English, this U-boat got a different kind of English pronunciation, which is U-boat. 
Um, the next German word from this area is Pickelhaube. So actually, that's the German pronunciation, Pickelhaube, and in English, the pronunciation is very similar, Pickelhaube. So a Pickelhaube is a type of hat worn by Prussian and German police officers, firefighters, and soldiers. The Pickelhaube was made of leather and sometimes harder materials and had a sharp spike on top of it. Pickelhaubes were later also worn by some militaries in South America, for example, by the Peruvian and Chilean militaries during the War of the Pacific in the 1870s, when those two countries, plus Bolivia, fought with each other in order to take control over large deposits of guano, or batshit, which at the time was popularly used as a fuel. Um, now, back to the Pickelhaube itself, it was um, most closely associated with Germany, but in reality it was first designed in Russia in the 1830s when Tsar Nicholas asked for a new type of helmet for his imperial army. The Germans stopped using the Pickelhaube in 1916 because it just couldn't protect soldiers from the new and powerful weapons that were appearing at the time, and also because the, the spike that was on top of the Pickelhaube um, would stick out um, from the holes that um, you know people were living in during the, uh, the First World War, and that made the person who was wearing the Pickelhaube a pretty good target for a sniper. I also would like to add that a friend of mine told me that when he was a child, he was firmly convinced that German soldiers in the First World War used Pickelhaubes to kill babies and then wear the babies on their heads. I should also add that my friend is a champion bullshitter and likes to improve all kinds of stories, especially ones about his childhood. Um, now, the word Pickelhaube is about is impractical as the Pickelhaube itself, but I felt that I just had to include it because that's the kind of person I am. Um, so yeah, we have several words um, in German for talking about things connected with war, you know, usually wars that happened quite a long ago. We've got Zeppelin, U-boat, uh, um, Pickelhaube, um, and Panzer. So let's move on to the next uh, sphere. Um, we have Schadenfreude. So the German pronunciation is very similar, Schadenfreude, and in English it is Schadenfreude. And Schadenfreude is a feeling of pleasure that people get when they see that something bad has happened, especially because they have expected that it would happen, or simply because it happened to someone else. So let's take that word apart. So we have Schadenfreude. Schade in German means something like, oh, that's too bad. You, you say that when something bad has happened and you want to express that it's unfortunate. And the other part of the word Freude means joy. So it means kind of like damage joy or unhappiness joy. Um, the German philosopher Schopenhauer, this is apropos schadenfreude, the German philosopher Schopenhauer said that there is something in the human spirit that is not entirely displeased when we see that something bad has happened to someone who is not us. I couldn't find the exact quote because Schopenhauer talked so much about dissatisfaction that the word appears in many, if not most, of the things that he said, and also because I went on a bike ride yesterday with a friend who was using an e-bike, and her battery ran out. So I had to ride her 30-kilogram e-bike with fat tires on it because she was too tired to do it. So probably anyone who saw me riding that bike, which was very heavy and way too small for me, experienced at least a bit of schadenfreude. Now, I just remembered a time when I was a child that I was actually, um, had some my schadenfreude taken away from me. 
Um, I was at school, and I seemed to remember that my parents had told me that they were going to pick me up from school. I lived about a mile away from the school where I, where I studied, and it was quite a cold day. And um, for a kid, you know, it was not a super long walk, but it was significant. It was one mile, you know, 1.6 kilometers. And um, I waited and waited and waited, and, you know, I got out of school at maybe 3 o'clock, and I was expecting to be picked up, and it just never happened. So at some point, I just gave up, and I started walking home, and I got home at 4 o'clock, and, you know, when you're a kid, an hour is a really long time. And um, on the television, I was in a bad mood. It was very cold outside, and, you know, I was upset that no one had come to pick me up. And um, on the television, I was watching some boat races. I could see on the television there were, you know, lots of boats, uh, speedboats, um, in a big competition. And I thought to myself, I hope one of those boats crashes. And I thought, you know, you should say it now, because there might be a crash soon. And you know what? There was a crash, and I missed the opportunity to say, I hope that guy crashes. And so, if I had said that, I could have had some schadenfreude, but that schadenfreude was stolen from me. I still feel sad about that today. So, um, the next and last German word um, for today is Zeitgeist. German pronunciation is Zeitgeist. And let's take that apart again. Uh, Zeit means time and Geist means spirit. So, the whole word together means the general spirit or feeling that exists in a moment in history because of what is happening at that particular time. In English, we pronounce this word as Zeitgeist. So, what is the Zeitgeist right now, for example? I would say that the Zeitgeist is pretty bad. Our current Zeitgeist is an anxious and at times angry one. We have extreme political polarization inside of countries so that people, including inside of their own families, have a hard time talking to or understanding each other. We have the feeling that after a few decades in which it seemed like maybe large wars were going away, that now they're coming back and might become normal again. We have social media, which makes people unhappy, mainly by making them compare themselves to a much larger number of people than they compared themselves to before. We also have climate change and lots of migration because of climate change, and then we have people who get angry at migrants. We also just got through a pandemic. Inflation is high. We have populist politicians and conspiracy theories. So yeah, the zeitgeist is not good right now. It is not an optimistic zeitgeist. I do, however, remember a time and place not super long ago when there was an optimistic zeitgeist, at least in Western countries. So in Western countries, from the winding down of the Cold War at the end of the 80s, all the way up until September 11th, 2001, there was a pretty good and optimistic zeitgeist. Um, now, actually, I said that Zeitgeist was going to be the last German word today that I was going to talk about, but actually I want to add a few more that are connected with food. First one is Bratwurst. In German, it's Bratwurst, um, which is a type of thick white sausage. Um, also, we have Sauerkraut. Um, in German, it's Sauerkraut. In English, it's Sauerkraut. And that is cabbage. That's a you know, type of vegetable. It can be either green or red. That is like a big ball, looks about as big as your head. And so sauerkraut is cabbage that has been pickled. We also have Hefeweizen, which in English is pronounced pretty much the same way as in German. Um, and Hefeweizen is beer, which is made from wheat instead of from barley. And then we have another type of beer in English that comes from German, and it's called a lager. 
and lager is a beer that is produced by storing it for a long time to let to allow its flavor to develop. So in German, to store something is to you you lagern something. So yeah, lager is beer that has been stored for a while. So that is my um, far from exhaustive, far from complete list of German words that have come into English, and you can see that they um, are connected with several areas. We've got supernatural things, you know, we've got um, doppelganger, we've got uh, poltergeist, we've got things connected with war, like panzer, u-boat, zeppelin, and pickelhaube, and we've got things that are connected with philosophy, like zeitgeist, and what was the other one? I can't remember, frankly, and I'm getting pretty tired. It's pretty late at night here, actually. One of those times where I record the episode pretty late, because I've had a lot of stuff to do over the weekend. Um, and then finally, we have the uh, a, a lot of German words, actually, that are connected with food, like rotwurst, um, hefeweizen, and lager, and actually more than those. But those are the most common ones that come to mind immediately. So thanks, everyone, again for listening and hope to hear your comments um, if you've heard any of these words before um, and I will hear you all or talk to you all next Monday. Thanks for listening.